Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new post-Full Gear episode of The Elite Beat. I'm Andy, joined 111 miles to my southwest by Megan. Hello. Please don't triangulate me. Yeah, don't do it. And uh, Jenny, as she was last episode, still under the weather, in bed, trying to recuperate. So, Godspeed and all that. But that doesn't stop us from sitting here and telling you fine folks about what we thought of AEW's full gear pay-per-view. And then we've got a few news notes to go over, and we'll call it a day. We'll try to get you out of here uh, in a uh, briefer fashion than normal. Does that sound good, Megan? Sounds great. Now, we did a pop of the week uh, already this week. So unless you are, you know, unless you unless you really feel like it, feel strongly about it, we don't need to do it. How about, uh, how do you feel? I feel okay. I don't have a sound effect, but I am just continuing on the bourbon train. So I, I wanted to, like, weave a, a thread through both shows. Are you drinking the same bottle as, as the last time? Yeah, because there's a lot in it. And, you know, one... One glass at a time suits me. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, I am drinking uh, cold water with ice. So kind of the same for you, too, then? Uh, yeah. Just less yeah. carbonation. Less carbonation and uh, a different um, glass of water than yesterday. Well, thank God, because that would be really intense if you carried it over. No, it is not um, aged. or It's not vintage <laughs> water. Okay. All right. So we started yesterday. Uh, we were supposed to watch the show together, but unfortunately, uh, you know, due to issues of uh, cold and flu season, that didn't happen. But we were both able to watch the show live through means. And um, Bleacher Report Live. BR Live app. BR Live Thank app. You. Thank you for helping. You're welcome. No. I, I was talking to BR Live. Oh, okay. You're helping now. Okay, well then I take it. Hurrah! Thank you're yeah. welcome for me helping. So uh, let's talk about the buy-in. The buy-in was different this time. It it's normally a full hour, and this time it was like 30 minutes of just like a really well-produced UFC-style hype show, followed by a, a shorter 30-minute buy-in special. Yeah, and I. I like the format, honestly, because I don't really need that much pre-show in general. So this this felt good. I was amazed that I hadn't seen almost any of the footage that they had. Like like none of the like almost none of the footage was was familiar to me for the for the three matches that they were that they were covering. Yeah, I think unless I've just have been. N- lacks on paying attention last couple weeks like the only thing i really recognized was the um cody video where he you know the one the one the inner circle parodied just last week so i recognized that when they played it but everything else it felt like was very new and um complemented the things i had already seen yeah i felt like i learned more about santana and ortiz than i have in all of the weeks prior combined in about in about like seven minutes it's true and i learned that uh, we have mixed them up repeatedly. <laughs> Ortiz is the one who bites the ropes, right? Right, and we have been calling him Santana. Oh, I think I've been calling him Ortiz. Oh, don't try to take credit. <laughs> I think 
I think we've all been calling him Santana. And but to our credit, consistently, like I think we just connected the names. We mixed up the names and then we stuck with it. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So I liked I liked all that stuff. They did. They 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 uh, built up Young Bucks versus Proud and Powerful. They built up Cody versus Jericho, and they built up Moxley versus Omega. And the Moxley Omega stuff was definitely all new. It's because we got to hear. Kenny Omega comment on his own match, which I don't know that he had done yet. Yeah, one of his talking head segments was um, put into, I believe, last week's video package because it was the one where he was like, "What do you want to do, John? Catch wrestle or like chain wrestle or whatever?" Um, I remember that line specifically because I thought it was funny, but I feel like they expanded on that because they kept they showed more of that interview with him in the same location and with the same background. Uh, but I really also loved having Moxley go to the ECW arena in Philadelphia. I thought that was pretty cool. And the, just that the hype for that match, it got me more excited than I was again, because it's just not the style of match I'm normally into. So it was cool to have them sort of give their state of mind going into it. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, that was very good. And then the second half of the show, we had Excalibur, Golden Boy, and Taz returning. Uh, I guess both Golden Boy and Taz returning. We haven't seen Golden Boy since, uh, I think, All Out. And we saw Taz on Dark a couple of weeks ago, right, when they were in Philly? Yes. Yeah. And they called B. Priestley versus Dr. Britt Baker. And... I liked this. I, it wasn't. It didn't blow me away, but I I, I enjoyed it. It was. Uh, they went eleven twenty eight. Doctor Baker won with the lockjaw, and I thought B especially with all of her very agile rope running and jumping and springboards and stuff looked pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I think this was one of my favorite Britt Baker matches. I know we we dunk on her a bit on this podcast, and and I apologize, Britt for that i don't want to be mean but i thought this showed more character and she she seems like she just has better chemistry with b in the ring than the others she's been there with like there weren't as many like awkward rolling around trying to figure out what the move we're supposed to do is oh yeah like at the beginning of that reho match yeah that was tough so i thought they flowed better in this one and um obviously the history is there with the the injury build up, but it seemed like they work well together. Yes, uh, definitely. And uh, yeah, like I said, Brett won, and that was the main. Uh, that was the only match on the pre-show, but we did have something afterwards as Awesome Kong and Brandy Rhodes came out. Kong hit B Priestley with a back fist. I guess Brett like pieced out before uh, this happened, and. Then there was like a knife being passed back and forth between Kong and and Brandy, and eventually Brandy used the knife to cut off a hank of B. Priestley's hair, and Kong had a pelt with a bunch of bunch of uh, hair, different scalps uh, hanging on it. Yes, trophies of past victories. Yeah, so. This is continuing whatever weird thing Brandy's doing. I guess it's I guess now that it's crossed over into the real world, it it actually seems fairly conventional. <laughs> but 
Unless they start using the the hair to make potions or whatever. I mean, I hope they do. What else are you going to use it for? But also, <laughs> I just remember thinking, are they? Re- that was a big chunk of hair. I hope that was an extension for mm-hmm, Beat mm-hmm. Priestley's sake. Like, <laughs> they yeah. really got in there. So that takes us to the main show. We introduced Jim Ross, and it's just Jim Ross and Excalibur because Tony on Saturdays during uh, college football season calls uh, Georgia Bulldogs games. It's uh, it's like a another of his. Like, well, I guess this is his full time job now because he has like an office job at AEW too. But this is something he's been doing for years. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if he continues that next season because you know. Two of AEW's annual four pay-per-views take place during college football season. <laughs> yes. And I missed him on the oh, announced team, God. honestly. I missed him, too. I was just, I was sitting there, and I didn't think JR had a horrible night or anything, but I think they're used to having a three-man booth when they work together, he and Excalibur. And I think Tony... I think Tony just like slides in there well. And I was wondering, like, you brought in Golden Boy, who's done pay-per-view broadcasts with you before. Why didn't you use him? You had Taz there, who's been, you know, who was great on that episode of Dark working with Excalibur and, and totally fine in that B Priestley Britt Baker match. Why didn't he just stay? He had hot plans, so Oh, do you think to... they had hot plans together? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Well, that's actually that's not true, because actually we saw Golden Boy later in the broadcast, didn't we? It wasn't he interviewing somebody? Uh, was he? I thought he was. I know Alex Marvez did an interview. I thought I thought maybe Golden Boy did as well. The only interview segment I can remember is the Kip Sabian one. But right, maybe we'll get to. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things. Yes. Also, I just think that I don't know what's going on. Maybe Excalibur doesn't do well when there's not three people in the booth with him. But it seems like. When it's just him and another person, he he stumbles over words and he struggles a little bit. Like it, it felt like he was having kind of an off night. Maybe it's too much pressure when it's just him and Jr. Maybe I mean maybe they just don't vibe well together or something. But without that third person there to help ease the or like pick up the slack, maybe I don't know. He just. Excalibur, he, I like him a lot. He just seemed like he was struggling to get through stuff throughout the pay-per-view, and he was, he was messing up things and stumbling over his own words. And I'm just like, Excalibur, what is going on, my dude? Why is this? What is happening tonight? Like, is Tony really that much of a crutch for everyone? Maybe he was suffering like a uh, a live on the air adrenaline dump from choking another man unconscious the night before. That will get you revved up. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. not something else we'll talk about later. But that's <laughs> that's a teaser. And uh, t- did you hear Jim Ross reference that? Oh, I must have missed it because I feel like I would have remembered that. No, I'll but let you like, know when it happens. I was going to say, let me know when it when we get there. Um, but as an aside, like I thought JR overall had no problems with him. This this pay-per-view. I could I could tell when he was like referring to his notes to say someone's name because there would be a long pause and then he would say Isaiah Cassidy. Yeah, he um he really like fumbled over Emmy Sakura. I think he called her Amy and then corrected himself and said Emmy and then said Amy. 
And then he was like, I mean, Emmy, I'm sorry. And like, <laughs> that's fine because that's just a totally like, I'm not sure what the name is. Like it, it, it yeah. was not the level of offense of like some of the other things he said. No. Yeah. None of that on the show. So that takes us to our opening match, the Young Bucks versus Santana and Ortiz. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express coming off, getting absolutely decimated in Charleston, West Virginia. At least Ricky Morton did. Uh, they are sitting in the front row. So you knew something was coming. I didn't know quite what we would get what we got, but uh, but I knew, I knew there was going to be an angle. And uh, the, the Bucks were very happy to see the uh, like the 1980s versions of themselves. So <laughs> that was cool. Uh, Jim Ross said early on that Matt Jackson is holding the tag rope like he's supposed to. That's what it's there for. Yeah, and it wouldn't be a tag team match in All Elite Wrestling without Jim Ross calling out someone either not using or using the tag rope correctly. <laughs> Does it ever bother you when some people, well, like, they'll, like, stretch it, stretch their arm out and really make the effort, and then other people just, like, they curl up right there? on the turnbuckle and like hug it to themselves, not taking advantage of that length. It's supposed to give them. It's starting to because, and I don't think it would if, if JR didn't call it out all the time, but it's made me start paying attention to the use of tag ropes in like NXT. Mm -hmm. And it's not great there either. (laughs) No, you're not. Yeah. It's like if sometimes you're really putting all your effort into stretching out your arm and have the rope, taut like as far as you can take it why other times are you just curled up in the corner and being like hope you can grab my arm it's confusing it is i so i hate to because you know we make fun of him every week about this but (laughs) i do think that if you're gonna have an announcer who is constantly calling this thing out maybe and you're not gonna like apparently not gonna direct him to stop doing it maybe you should do something about it so he doesn't have a reason to like Hold a little seminar, like have the Rock and Roll Express have a little <laughs> tag team seminar and just say like, hey, hold the tag rope and just make sure that you're holding it when you tag in. And yeah. don't tag your your partner's foot to try to get in the ring. That's not legal. So many tag like technicalities in this match. Yeah, it was interesting, too. So so like one of the stories of the match uh, is that Santana and Ortiz would rep- would repeatedly make tags either behind the referee's back or they would make non-legal tags. So they kept having to, like, you know, they, like Santana would tag to Ortiz, but he'd tag his foot, and then the referee wouldn't allow it. Or Ortiz would tag to Santana, but it was behind the referee's back, so they'd, like, so, the ref- so Rick Knox would say, oh, I didn't see it, you have to get out. And it was interesting because they are the heels, and it, I guess it didn't make them sympathetic because... It, it, it kind of made them look stupid, really. Kind of, but at the same time, I felt their pain when it's like the ref had his back turned when we made a completely legal tag. In no other match I've ever seen has this become an issue. And I know that people are tagging in and out without the ref seeing it. So that, I mean, I, you know, from my own, uh, you know, anecdotal history as a fan, that is like, that is a major trope in tag team wrestling, or at least it has been in the past. And I think the fact that you don't recognize that might just be a WWE not being a very good tag team territory in the time that you've been a wrestling fan. That's I'm completely willing to believe that. I, I guess maybe I just didn't pay that much attention because in most matches where this isn't part of the story they're trying to tell, if a rep doesn't see it, 
obviously they know what's supposed to be going on in the match. So they don't make a big deal out of it. So to me, it was always just like, yeah, unless you do something egregious, if you jump in and the other guy jumps out, the ref's like, totally, you tagged. Good, we're moving on. Right, yeah. Um, there, the, the spot where uh, one of the proud and powerful tried to tag the other's foot as he was laying on the canvas and the referee didn't allow it, it was very funny because right after that, the Young Bucks demonstratively and very purposefully tagged one another's hand to make a tag, right? Just to like kind of, I think... Put a uh, put an exclamation point on the on the uh, story they were telling. This is how you properly tag hand to hand. And then there was a point where Jr. just totally missed a tag between Nick and Matt, and he got upset that that Nick was now in the ring, and then Excalibur had to tell him that he had missed a tag. <laughs> so I think Jr. was like micro napping or something. Well. It's a long show. He has to make sure he makes it to the end. Yeah. The other major story of this match, besides Proud and Powerful not being good at making tags, was that Nick Jackson hurt his shin. Yes. There was a moment where he sold it so much that I completely believed he legitimately hurt himself, where he jumped up on the top rope to do the Meltzer driver and then just collapsed. And at that Mm -hmm. point, I was like, is this real? You got me. You got me, Nick Jackson. You were not alone. Jenny was very nervous about Nick and the health of his uh, of his shin, but uh, pretty sure everything's okay. They did a lot of great spots built around it. Like he did his big um, hot tag comeback where he like he he jumps out of the ring and like you know and and tries to like kick the guy on the floor. But uh, Santana or Ortiz, I forget which one, ducked and Nick kicked the post, and that was a really good spot. And like you said, the Melter Driver slip spot was great too. Uh, I thought I thought this was a really good kind of combination of a of your typical Young Bucks like lots of cool high spots match and like also very like psychology and storytelling heavy. So I, I thought it was kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, I liked it because it was different in that Santana and Ortiz are like the first opponents they've had that are not also crazy high flyers like themselves. So we finally did get a bit of a contrast in styles. Not that I don't love the four man high flying extravaganza that they normally put on, but this was different. Like you could see their tactics were coming from a different place. I gave this one four and a quarter stars on grapple. Did you take off three quarters of stars because Ortiz put his mouth on the dirty ball rope? I well, I mean, this is something we didn't mention, but we were informed that Dr. Britt Baker had the flu, so not only like was potential like ball sweat there, it was also flu germs. Yeah, that's horrifying. Like that, mm, don't go to work sick. I mean, I totally understand that this is a special case, but there's germs all over that mat now. She was the first match. Yeah, Jenny was very upset about uh, her using her finisher with the flu. I could see that you really, really can spread the germs by sticking your hand in another person's mouth. And I know Jenny's probably particularly sensitive because of currently being sick. Matt Jackson did his uh, great uh, triple Northern Lights suplex, like his float over thing. Uh, And then uh, I believe it was Santana ran at that point and he grabbed him and he did the double Northern Lights, which we've seen him do before. But then 
he flipped over and did a a second. So he did a triple single Northern Light suplex and then a double double Northern Light suplex, and that got a, a near fall. That was very awesome. Yeah, I love that move, and he does it all the time. It's still thrilling. Very cool looking, and I I loved when he did the double one two times. It was super awesome. Ortiz had some costuming issues. His his uh, pants kept falling down. He was making a lot of uh, adjustments, like he was uh, Ronda Rousey circa 2015. Or Mia Yim circa last year. This year? Yep, yep true. Yeah, last year. Yeah, you're right. There was a spot where Nick spit at Santana, and he spit his gum out. And Santana picked the gum up off the canvas and put it in his own mouth leading the crowd to chant, you sick fuck. I was horrified because I didn't realize Britt Baker had the flu at this point, but just in general, this really, (laughs) this like really set off my germaphobic alarms here. Put the gum in his mouth. I was freaking out. And then learning that that mat had flu germs all over it. New levels. I, I, I was like, please, please Santana. Why would you do that? Finally, uh, what happened was Santana and Ortiz hit the street sweeper on Nick after Matt had been run into the post. So it was it was Nick's uh, bad leg failed them, and uh, and that was and that was that. I thought Nick was just so fantastic in this match with all the with all the leg selling. Yeah, he was really going all in on it. Pardon the reference. But uh, I definitely did have a moment where I thought he was legitimately hurt because when he started, I knew he was selling. And then when he fell off the rope for the Meltzer driver, I had questions. But he and Matt have both <laughs> proved that they're very good at selling things for an extended period of time. Yeah, didn't Matt make a joke one time on being the elite about how his like back has been broken for a year or something like that? Yeah. And I think other people commented on it. Like I've heard interviews with other wrestlers who've referenced it. Of Look at how well Matt sells. He's playing up this injury for a full year and people don't know what to believe. So good for him. Uh, so after the match, Sammy Guevara comes down. He's, you know, to celebrate with his buddies. And because he doesn't really have anything else to do on the show. Uh, he's got <laughs> he's got a sock with him. And Excalibur says, he's got a sock full of baseballs. And JR says, how do you know that? And Excalibur says, look at the shape. <laughs> it's just like, why is, why? I don't know. That was like one of the JR moments of the night that I was just like, eh, come on, dude. Just You got a yes and, bro. Yeah, seriously. There's, there's, uh, he, he did that, uh, yeah, well, I'll get to it. <laughs> um. <laughs> So he's got a sock with the, with all the baseballs in him. They're gonna apparently they're gonna murder the the young bucks, but <laughs> the Rock and Roll Express make the save, and this ends up with Ricky Morton hitting a Canadian Destroyer on Santana, and then with the Bucks making sure to part the ropes as wide as possible, uh, hitting a suicide dive on Ortiz. <laughs> I could not believe these old men doing this stuff. Oh, it was just Ricky, to be fair. (laughs) I worried. I mean, I don't don't know. The move looked good. 
I know. Well, you said they had been working recently. And yeah. Didn't we, like, determine they have, like, 20 matches this year or something like that? Yeah, I guess that means that you're practiced at a minimum, but I just can't get past, you know, your body, once you get old, it, it doesn't heal the same way, and I worry. And then this this old man is just throwing himself out in a suicide dive, and ugh, I was very stressed out by this, but it turned out okay. I was happy it turned out okay. It just... I was not expecting it. It did. The young bucks and the old bucks uh, celebrated together, and it was very happy. <laughs> yeah. I believe, I don't know if they still do, but they, the Rock and Roll Express on their Pro Wrestling Tees store, they used to have an old bucks uh, t-shirt. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Next up, we had Pack versus Hangman Page. I think that the Hangman Page rehab project has been successful. He was... Not as over as they thought he was heading into All Out. I think that's fair to say. But since then, I think they've done a good job getting him kind of to a place where they need him to be. I think a key part of that was uh, cowboy shit. It didn't hurt, certainly. Um, (laughs) And honestly, I think maybe, you know, fans seeing the huge reaction he got in Charleston might have helped because I think that I think that part of being a star is having fans see you being received as a star in other places. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, that's how we should react to him because he got this big reaction here. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly like maybe just my view is um, not tainted, but colored by being the elite because I big time. Big time, yeah. Yeah, I for sure thought when this all started that Adam Page is, like, going to be obviously, just obviously, one of their big stars. And people are going to, by default, love him. And it really was surprising to see how, I mean, he's not, like, hated, but how neutral the reaction was to him for the first few shows. and, And how, like, he didn't get the title. And that, I really did expect him to just be an obvious contender who should win it. And then looking back, I admit I was wrong, but I was coming off being the elite where he is one of like, he is elevated so highly. So I don't just trying to reconcile those two images. It's been weird. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, I, I, I think your point about being the elite is <clears throat> very well taken because I was, I thought exactly the same. I thought, oh, this Tangman Page who's been, who's like a very big star to me, is obviously, like, obviously everybody is watching being the lead. <laughs> yes, and knows obviously. And knows what a, what a great star Hangman Page is. And it turns out that was not the case. So. Yeah. But he gets the win here. He wins in 1852. Um, story of the match was... Pack working over uh, Paige's back. I continue to be very impressed with Pack's ability to uh, be able to be so spectacular, but hold so much of it back. Uh, just because he knows that he's a heel, and the more spectacular stuff he does, the harder it is to be a heel. But uh, he still peppers stuff in here and there. Yeah, seeing him do the black arrow and just slam right into the canvas that was rough felt bad for him 
As it turns out, that was probably like only the third worst missed dive of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots lots of cowboy shit chances Paige uh, was making comebacks. There was a big spot on the floor where Pack hit Adam Page with a brain buster onto an open chair, and somehow his back got scratched up. Like like something must like like a piece of the chair maybe like just like raked right along like it was it was across like his whole back pretty much Mm -hmm. this is always a worry this this for me triggers that bob holly match where he just hit a table and the metal part ripped open his back and he bled a lot and got super pale and looked like he was going to pass out but uh then he continued to do the match for maybe 10 more minutes and i wanted to just i puked in my mouth a little I was hoping you would uh, finish that sentence in a way in which I could respond, do ya? And have it make sense, but you didn't. Um, <laughs> do you want me to add a, add a no, sentence it's, on? No, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, save it uh, up. I'm sure we'll get there. Uh, there was a great spot where uh, Pack put Hangman into the Brutalizer, the, the standing version that uh, that Pack caught uh, Kenny in and uh kenny passed out from and it was really cool this time because hangman did collapse but he collapsed into the rope so like pack had to break it up so like i think the basically we're supposed to think if it had been in the middle of the ring that that would have been it for for hangman there is that what you got out of that too yeah uh because it looked very intense and pack had it locked in in a way that hangman was quote-unquote lucky he was near the outside yeah um, they did a really cool finishing sequence where uh, they almost crashed into Bryce Remsburg. And while Bryce was kind of like dealing with Pack, Pack was like right in, like it was kind of a, uh, Bryce was like on the ropes. Pack was standing in front of him and Hangman was right behind Pack. So Pack goes for this low blow with his, you know, like tries to do the kind of trick knee acting up uh, low blow. And Paige had it scouted because it's happened to him before. <laughs> and caught the leg, hit him with a couple of clotheslines, and then hit the dead eye uh, for the win. I thought it was like I thought it was a great match. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I believe I went four stars on this match on the Grapple app, and yes, I did. So really, really good. Uh, and this was, of course, Pac's first singles match lost. And they announced after the show in one of the uh, post. Uh, show scrums with the media tony khan announced that on wednesday they are doing a rematch oh wow okay Quick yeah, turnaround. I yeah i don't know about that i mean i assume they have a reason to do it but i don't know it smacks of wwe where it it's worse there because they'll do it on a monday after a sunday night pay-per-view <laughs> but like just the same match Again. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. And it's like, okay, I just paid for this match, and now you're doing it for free. Yeah. It's a little bit weird, but whatever. It'll be, it's fine. Uh, the only other thing on that match uh, that I want to note from Jenny, because she would be sad if I didn't, uh, Pack definitely at one point got crotched, so he had his balls on the rope and the turnbuckle. Yeah. Ball watch 2019. Very important. Very important. Ortiz had already put the rope in his mouth, so, you know, he only got the flu, not the balls. Hmm. 
Sean Spears versus Joey Janela was up next. I wasn't really looking forward to this because, I mean, they have done some buildup on, like, being the elite mostly. <laughs> but I, you know, like, Sean Spears is, he comes off like such a mid-carder to me. And Joey Janela, I'm just, he's okay. I know you're not crazy about him either, but uh, I thought these two actually kind of over-delivered. I, I would agree. I mean, having said that my expectations were basically like underground so they didn't really have to do much to exceed them but i think i don't like joey janela when he's doing his death matches and this was a match where he wasn't trying to do that stuff so i didn't mind him and i fully agree with your assessment that sean spears seems like a mid carter because even with the intense entrance with the lights out and and the chair and whatnot and he has Tully Blanchard with him all that seems really important but then when it comes right down to it there's nothing about him that really sets him apart from anyone you know he's just like a guy and it's almost like having Tully Blanchard there is required because otherwise you'd kind of just forget about him he should like let people know like, he should make it very, very known that he's married to Peyton Royce, because I think that would get him over more. Yes. I think 100%. that would impress people. Yes. It's like, you? Oh, my God. I would so love it if instead of uh, his title card being the chairman, it's just husband of Peyton Royce. Do you remember, do you remember WrestleMania a couple years ago when they debuted those, like, those AR um, graphics? For hot all wife. the instances. Yeah. <laughs> With Mrs. just said hot wife. <laughs> I think awesome. Ms. proved it's it's a good way to go. <laughs> but yeah, uh Sean Spears, I I have no animosity towards him. I guess I'm just kind of like unenthused by him in a way that just I don't know. I wish he would do more. I wish he would have a thing. He he seemed like he was going to have a thing with the the contacts and all that, but he just doesn't really, he's not intimidating. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going for with him. It bums me out when WWE main roster turns out to be right about something. <laughs> well, don't say that. <laughs> well, I just mean, you know, like this is kind of, this is, I mean, he, he's doing a little bit, he's, he's in a little bit of a stronger position here, but they also have a more shallow roster than WWE. So I just, I feel like, you know, he's a guy who left WWE because he thought he was underutilized. And and I I don't, I I think this is probably his level. Yeah. If he um, cannot come up with something better in a place that gives him the creative freedom, I assume granted, I have no idea, but I assume they're very open to hearing ideas and letting the talent sort of build their own characters and try to work with that. And if this is all he can come up with, it's still doing the 10 thing, which is like, dude, that was WWE. You are not there anymore. It's so and weird. If, I don't know why they don't make him stop doing that. Yeah. Like if you left because you felt underutilized, don't utilize the same gimmick that you had that you were complaining about. And yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know how much creative control he has, but if this is all he can come up with, I just don't think he's doing anything amazing. I don't no. think he's untalented. He He's a capable wrestler. It's just, I don't, there's nothing about him that makes me excited to have him on screen. 
I was thinking maybe he'd do better in a tag team with like a, like a charismatic partner. Yeah, that that's probably his best role to like get somebody to drum up interest <clears throat> in whatever they're doing and ride that wave. Yeah. So Spears wins 11 minutes, 43 seconds. Uh, some cool, uh, there was some cool stuff in here. Joey Janela is a, a maniac, so he'll take crazy bumps. He, he took a power slam from the apron to the floor that looked really good. Um, he he did he he uh, he took a he took it like a, I guess like basically like a hip toss over the top rope to the floor, uh, and his lower back kind of crashed on the edge of the apron before he landed. Uh, mm-hmm. They did, a, I thought, a really clever spot that I'd never seen before, where Sean Spears used the tag rope and he tied up Joey Janela's hair. And then, so Janela, because he's a lunatic, he basically just, like, he ripped his own hair to break out of it. Yeah, I did not love seeing the weird tuft of hair when they kept cutting to it. It was, was so like, cool. I thought it was such a great shot when they, when they, when they you know, caught it later. Oh, it was totally effective. It just made me uncomfortable because it's, like, ugh, ugh. Somebody has to hold that tag rope, you know? Yeah. There was, I really liked the finish, um... Uh, Spears untied a uh, turnbuckle pad, and I thought, like, oh, what's he gonna do here? But it turned out to just be a distraction. He just kind of he pointed it out to Earl Hebner, and Hebner like went back to tie it back up like a good referee should. And he and Blanchard used this distraction to uh, do a spike pile driver on the floor to Joey Janela, and I thought it was really cool to see Tully Blanchard uh, jumping off the ring steps and helping with this pile driver. Yes. It, it it was the night for old men to do moves that it was yeah yeah you don't expect so that was cool and I liked the the strategy of using what would typically be like I'm just gonna blatantly take off this ring thing and hit somebody's head against it I don't care if the ref sees it to turn that around to be like look ref uh oh and use it as a distraction I thought that was cool. And then, uh, so Spears threw uh, Janela back in the ring, hit him with a Death Valley driver, and pinned him for the win. Did you notice, uh, I don't know, I don't. Th- they didn't make any mention of this, but I saw people talking online about it. Um, that So yesterday was the 22nd anniversary of the Survivor Series uh, in 1997 in Montreal for the, for the big Montreal screw job. Oh. And Earl Hebner was the referee for this match. And... Sean Spears applied a sharpshooter at one point during this match. So I don't know if that was all intentional, but the refer- the, the announcer certainly didn't bring any attention to it. So maybe it was just one of those little like kind of inside joke things. Well, I can't remember if this was the match. I do remember distinctly JR at some point, somebody applied a sharpshooter and they called it Excalibur called it whatever the other Scorpion Deathlock. Yes, and JR was like, in some places, that's also known as a sharpshooter. Right, yeah. So, like, that was the only reference. Was that this match? I think that was this match, yeah. But okay. They, they, didn't, they didn't make any, like, Survivor Series or Montreal or Earl Hebner references. No, but this is... I gotta assume this was on purpose because the Bucks are such old school, and Cody, too. Like, the whole... All the young elite members are so old school in their thinking that... This has to be like a, a subtle reference. Yeah, I like that stuff. I, I, I didn't. I certainly didn't want to be beaten over the head with it because Montreal references have been done to death. But I like that they 
it, it was almost like an Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. They did it well, if that's truly what they were going for. And I assume it was. Yeah. Uh, next, we had Golden Boy backstage interviewing Kip Sabian. And uh, Kip Sabian has, I guess since starting to hang out with the Hybrid 2, has turned full heel now. He's a total prick. He was not like this before. <laughs> and this, uh, this is what happens when you fall in with the wrong crowd. This is what you, happens when you fall in with uh, a weirdo South African who uh, wears a bodysuit. Yeah, I'm fully blaming it on Angelico. Uh, Jack Evans, you know, he's probably totally normal. It's fine. It's fine. So Sabian seems very devoted to being in this trio, and that made me happy because I think that uh, I think that's a, like a fun. It, I'm I'm big in favor of them just like event, this entire promotion just being all trios. <laughs> it kind of seems like it's almost <laughs> heading that way. Um, but I like this trio. And then uh, the former uh, bad girl Penelope Ford walks in. And, uh, you know, she and Kip Sabian, we've talked about it before in the show, that they are they're together IRL. And now it appears they're together uh, in the narrative of All Elite Wrestling, too. And she says, why be bad when you can be super bad? And as she says this, they cut back to Joey Janela, who, of course, you know, the reason that she was the bad girl is because she was with Joey Janela, the bad boy. And... It's interesting, like, they're using some real-life stuff here. She was with Joey Janela? Oh, yeah, for a long time. I did not hear that hot goss on the street, so... So, so there was one episode of Being the Elite. It was, like, kind of the last time they used Joey Janela in his terrible role on that show. Yes. Uh, where he was doing other jobs. And... Penelope Ford was like yelling at him and basically broke up with him on the episode and said that she had left him for Scott Steiner. And that was the one time Scott Steiner appeared on being the elite. That was Penelope Ford. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember that episode. I did not connect the two. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so they were, they were a couple and now Penelope and, and uh, Kip are a couple and it looks like they're going to do, like what I got out of this, based on them cutting back to to Janela leaving the the ring, is that they're going to do a feud based on that. Which I, you know that's interesting. First of all, Penelope, upgrade. <laughs> Get it, girl. <laughs> Second, I <laughs> I both love and worry about when these real life um, romantic entanglements occur in wrestling storylines because man you just worry about that day when it goes bad and then you have to keep pretending like you two love each other because that's what the cameras want and i hope it doesn't come to that i hope kip and penelope are just so happy all the time but they are very young and you know seems like it it could maybe not be great in like a year but for now i'm into it i love that this promotion is so young like like you know they're old older people in it but there are also a lot of people in their 20s and i assume they're just all gonna be screwing each other all the time and that's great and i can't wait for all the the gossip oh god yeah like if you're just always around a group of hot athletic people how are you not it's like um the olympics 
everybody's just getting with everybody and that's fine you're all going to make beautiful babies but there's going to be some heartbreak just like and this makes me really happy in a way that like nxt doesn't because you know that everybody's boning everybody at the performance center but wwe is such like their relationship with like the media is such that like a lot of that stuff takes forever to get out and most i'm sure most of it never gets out but I, i feel like it's I feel like it's not going to be the case with AEW. I feel like anybody who's sleeping with anybody, you're going to know about it. And I'm so happy because, you know, the trashy reality TV watcher in me is just all there for that. Let me know who's dating who, all the hot goss, breakups, you know, makeups. Let's just do it. Let's just get it out there. But I was both elated and surprised that they just decided to, embrace this and make it an on-screen this this irl couple we're gonna do on-screen couple too so next up tag team championship match sky and kazarian scu defending their aew tag team titles against pentagon jr and ray phoenix the uh lucha brothers and private party mark quinn and isaiah cassidy and to me this came off as they stuck private party in this match because they want to continue doing a larger SCU versus Lucha Brothers feud. So they needed a team to take the pinfall because they weren't ready to switch the titles yet. Yeah, I mean, from a practical standpoint, you're probably right. But I'm not going to complain because it's a lot of high flyers in a ring. So I'm happy to see it. But yeah, I, I think... You're probably right. The Lucha Brothers are moving on from the Young Bucks, which is good. But now SEU is their new target. So I didn't think SEU was going to lose the tag titles so quickly. Um, So it makes sense that, like, somebody else has to lose because you also don't want to, like, downplay the Lucha Brothers. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I agree. Uh, we had like lots of crazy stuff in this. Uh, Sky and Kazarian retained 13 minutes, three seconds. So they, they condensed. Uh, I, th- I think that was probably a good running time for a match like this because it was nothing but spots. Um, we had a uh, doomsday drop kick to Mark Quinn. Uh, Phoenix hit it off of the shoulders of Pentagon. Uh, we had a really cool diving sequence where so Kazarian uh, like hit a Hurricane Rana from the apron to the floor on uh, on Pentagon. And he didn't uh, hit his own head on the apron this time. <laughs> and then Mark Quinn hit a big, like, high dive Fosbury flop on Kazarian. And then Scorpio Sky is going for a running dive. Like, I, like he's probably just going to do his big flip dive. And he got stopped with the uh, so impressive rope walk into a kick from Phoenix. Oh, yeah, Phoenix is... He's something else. So then Phoenix has this, like like... You know, see, he's 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 the only one in the ring, and then he does another uh, like double jump, and then he hits like a big twisting dive to the floor. He's he's unbelievable. He really is. I think he just casually like rope walked on his entrance. Did he? <laughs> I, I yeah. Have to go back and check that out. He, uh, I don't, I don't understand like the the path that these men take to develop that level of agility and skill because it's so specialized and specific but oh he's amazing and i'm i'm hopeful that since the lucha brothers are going to be chasing seu we're going to get see a lot more of him and also pentagon jr who i have a 
you know, I worry about his whole pile driver thing, but Phoenix is great. I'm very excited to see more of him. Yes, very much so. Uh, crowd, very. This is, a, this is a very pro Lucha Brothers crowd, and that made it hard for them to be the heels as they're supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there do, is there like a, I mean, location wise, is there something to that? Like, I don't know. I don't know if Baltimore is a, like a big uh, Hispanic hotbed. The crowd just decided Lucha Brothers these, is the these way guys we want to cool. go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, they are. Um, uh, finish came when Private Party was going for gin and juice, and it's funny because there are two parts to gin and juice, and both parts got countered, and it made me think like, what if only one of the parts got countered? Like, well, then you if, don't only have gin, or you'd only have juice, and it wouldn't work. I guess so. Yeah. Like, what if what if Kazarian, you know, had, had gotten Hurricane Rana to the floor and or to the mat? But, you know, wasn't, but like, you know, Quinn didn't, or Cassidy didn't get away to get the cutter. Like, I don't know, I just thought about it. Anyway, and uh, they hit the SCU later, uh, which is a move that I really love now. And uh, Kazarian pinned Isaiah Cassidy. I felt bad for little Isaiah. I feel like he's been eating pins recently. Well, according to some people that I've talked to, he maybe he should stop screaming and maybe he'd get better booking. Oh, Jenny. What an opinion to have. Believe it or not, that was not Jenny. She's not she's not crazy about the screaming, but that was actually that that was not from her. That was uh, from uh, another uh, unnamed person. Okay, I will say that his screaming sort of weirdly reminds me of um, oh, the the pterodactyl scream from J or Mark Briscoe. Yes. Okay, in that it's one that- match. It's yeah, it's that like uh, pitch, <laughs> just the same high pitch. Yeah. Uh, so the Lucha Brothers go after SEU, then the lights go out, and when they come back up, there are two pentagons in the ring, like, like it's the Patty Duke show or something or some other ancient reference, <laughs> and they they mirror each other. And then the the new Pentagon attacks and starts hitting starts hitting Christopher Daniels spots on Pentagon Junior, which makes Excalibur wonder who this could be. Hmm, it's a mystery. It is a mystery. It is revealed that it is Christopher Daniels, and he uh, he lays out both Lucha Brothers with chair shots and uh, and yeah, he's back. I was very happy to see him back. I'm glad he's healthy, which is what I assume this means. Yeah. I I, I wonder if this means that like the Lucha Brothers are going to go to a third and we're going to do some trios matches, or, or, or if we're going to get a singles match between Pentagon and Daniels, or, or what the deal is. Yeah, exciting either way. I'm, I'm glad he's back. I feel like SCU is complete now, once again. And if we get trios action, I'm all for it. Because, as you said, this company loves trios in a way that i don't think any other ones currently do so it's it's a fun it's a fun option definitely definitely uh next up riho versus emmy sakura for the aew women's title we got a really great video package uh before this match with a lot of a lot of kenny omega a lot of riho and a lot of emmy and i i have no idea why this 
no, like no part of this ever made air on dynamite. And I, I just don't understand because it was terrific. And it, and it like totally explained why they were having this match and what it means and the stakes and the teacher student thing and, and everything. Yeah. Maybe part of that is like what you talked about on the last episode of the Emmy versus Riho match got basically zero buildup and just sort of happened. And looking at the rankings, it seemed like they made that happen based on the rankings instead of having the rankings and then saying, yes, this person is up. Like, you know, how it didn't quite sync up Oh, where, where, where she, they announced the match and then she pinned her in a tag match as if, like, to justify it after she had already been given the match. Yeah, like, this all happened very quickly and with almost no buildup, so maybe they just didn't, they all, they didn't pile on trying to shove this video package in to make it legit. Right. Well, it was a great video package. Yeah, I really liked it. I'm glad it was on the pay-per-view. It made sense here. And I think when the match started, they even commented on the fact that Emmy Sakura looked sort of emotional. Like, she did kind of look like she had tears in her eyes a little bit. And and I thought that was really good and played into the the mentor-teacher-student dynamic they were going for. So... I thought it was really well done in that sense. Um, And it was cool to see footage of like Riho training really, because it almost seems like because she's so young and because she's been in the business since she was like 13 or whatever, Mm -hmm. you miss all that. Like she's still at a point where, where I'd expect training video of her like last year, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Riho retained the title, as I think everyone kind of expected. 13 mm-hmm. minutes, 18 seconds. And I, 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 I'm, you know what? Actually, I, I should back up just a second to give my ratings for the last couple matches, which I skipped over. I went three stars for Janela Spears. Uh, I went three stars for Janela Spears. And I went three and three quarter stars for SCU, Lucha Brothers, and Private Party. So I also went three and three quarter for Riho and Emi Sakura. Wait a minute. I... No, I went four because I watched this twice. And when I watched it the second time, I upgraded it. What changed your mind? I think I, I think I noticed the crowd getting into it more the second time. And that, that got me more into that got me more invested I don't know if I was like a little bit distracted last night or what the deal was. I, and I liked it last night. I, I went three and three quarter, but, but uh, just, it felt better, just a little bit better to me this morning when I watched it. So I, I bumped it up to four and there was some like next level, like lightning fast action at the, at the finish where they were trading cradles and uh, you know, and, and attempts and, and, uh, and finally uh, Riho kind of stacked up Emmy and uh, got the pen. Loved it. Yeah, I really enjoyed that you could tell that they had worked so so much together because of that, just the quick pace. It's like you have to be intimately familiar with the person you're working with to, to achieve that, and it was really cool to see. I saw someone on Twitter who like follows and kind of covers the Joshi scene 
saying it was some number like it was like this was the 259th time they had worked in a match against each other not necessarily all singles but like you know been on opposite sides of a match yeah i think the maybe excalibur said that at the start of the match oh did he? okay okay so yeah that's, okay. that's good yeah so i mean that plays into the whole storyline of teacher student but still just to like say that is one thing and then to see the effect of it and and how well they work together i thought it was really cool Riho always looks great making her comebacks because she is so small and so it's so it seems like she really like she really puts everything into those forearms and slaps and and uh and like the foot stomps like the foot stomps were just brutal in this match yeah i, I really i just i like the story they told i like you said you could just you could tell how comfortable they were working together and it was it was pretty it was pretty perfect it really was and i want to call out a moment before the match with Bryce Remsburg our resident ref for this one um Emmy Sakura after she did her entrance you know how she has the microphone mm-hmm. she extended it to Bryce when she got into the ring and he looked at her and he he acted he like went to reach for it as if she was giving it to him and she was like, no, no. And she like gestured for him to do something with it. And he got this coy look on his face and was like, Oh my goodness. And then like took the microphone and acted like he was doing karaoke and I died. (laughs) I love Bryce so much. I'm so glad that he has a platform to be Bryce. I don't know how I didn't notice that twice. Yeah, you should go back and watch because it is the cutest moment. It is maybe three seconds, and I'm overselling it a bit, but <laughs> it was just like, I'm a Bryce fan, so happy to see it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that takes us to Chris Jericho versus Cody for the AEW title. The three judges at ringside, uh, Dean Malenko, Arn Anderson, and KG Muto, uh, who they called the Great Muda here, uh, even though he was not wearing face paint which is how you know when Keiji Muto is the Great Muto. If he's not wearing face paint, he is just Keiji Muto. Uh, I saw some pictures that someone took who was sitting nearby that ringside table, and the person said, I I, I did my due diligence. I wanted to make sure that these guys were really executing in their role as judges. Uh, Dean Malenko picked up a pen pen right away. Uh, Arn Anderson picked up a pen a few minutes into the match, Muto never picked up a pen. None of them wrote anything at any point. <laughs> and it was like close-up pictures of them, you know, in the states that he uh, mentioned and also with blank notepads in front of them. Yeah, I thought they they cut to them at one point, And maybe, to be fair, it was pretty early on. But when they showed them, none of them had the, the notebooks open. Like they were like leather folios. And mm-hmm. the cover was closed, so so none of them were, cl- no paper was exposed for any of them. They were internalizing everything. Sure, yeah, you process it up in, in the brain space. No need for notes, it's fine. So Cody comes out first, he's got MJF with him, and they cut to Cody's mom, Michelle, in the crowd. That will be important later. Uh, Jericho comes out, and he's got Hager with him. And Jericho wearing a weight belt that says Le Champion, to, I guess to just like kind of <laughs> mock Cody a little bit. And Jericho immediately gets in the faces of the judges, which I, I question 
the wisdom in that if you're, you know, potentially depending on these people to make a decision on whether you should retain your title or not. Uh, yeah, fair. Although, you know, he's antagonizing them, but maybe that's all part of when he wins, he can show, like, like if it came down to the judges and they gave him the win, look, I won because of my merit. I got in their face. I was not friends with any of them. You know, hate them all, and they still gave me the win. I do like that Jericho is, he gets to be like, he gets to be a heel champion who does mostly win his matches on merit. And he's still a heel and it doesn't make him a baby face just because he's a really good wrestler. You know, it's like, it's, it feels like in WWE, like if you're a heel champion, you have to cheat like all the time and win with like trickery and interference and low blows and stuff like that. And Jericho just beats people. Yeah, true. Uh, so this one ended up going, it did not go the, the hour. Uh, it went 29 minutes, 37 seconds and Jericho retains. And let's talk about how they got there. Uh, pretty slow going early on. I think I, I do wonder, do you think the pace of the match in the first five minutes or so was to kind of get the crowd thinking that this is going to go an hour? Possibly. Because I think just the concept of the match, and then when you introduce judges as a possibility for how this outcome would be determined, that's when I started thinking, oh god, they're going to go a full hour, and then we're going to have to get the judges' toll. And don't get me wrong, I like both of them, and I was looking forward to this match, but that seems excessive. Like, just like an hour-long match on this pay-per-view. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Like if they're starting slow, they're putting that in your mind. It kind of felt like the, um, that last Gargano Cole match where they ended up going 45 and you could tell like by the way they were kind of like Cole would stall and they were doing a lot of like kind of chain wrestling. It was like, Oh, this is, they're going a really long time. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I'd love the two of them. I think their matches are great, but I didn't want 45 minutes of that match. And I did not want 45 minutes of this match, you know, let alone an hour. So (laughs) the introduction of the judges, the slow pacing, I was like, do I have to settle in? Is this, this is going to be a thing because yeah, like they weren't, they weren't moving quick. They were doing a lot of holds and they were completely setting you up for that. So uh, it started to pick up a little bit. Cody hits a suicide dive to the floor and he does it near the judges where they are and Excalibur. And I'm I'm guessing that Excalibur was just kind of creating his own story here, but he said he did that in front of the judges to make a point to, you know, to make, you know, make, make an impact for them to remember. And Jim Ross sounded so impressed that Excalibur came up with that. He was like, Oh yeah, I think you're right there. (laughs) This isn't like, ice skating you don't have to do cool moves in front of the judges to get points jr did tell us that there was no scoring system which was you know <laughs> i could i could imagine like one of their like stat people like chris harrington or tony Khan himself coming up with a convoluted uh scoring system for the judges to follow how many tope suicidas were there yeah not enough for tony Schiavone. um <laughs> 
So after that, uh, it really started to pick up when Cody goes for another dive. They had this like elevated ramp uh, for the set where it just it was kind of like the fight for the fallen set where like the ramp was even with the ring apron on the entrance side. So Cody goes for this dive out there and Jericho gets out of the way and Cody takes a header right into right into like, you know, the ramp. And he's got this such a gross gash on his forehead. Have you have you have you seen this in the aftermath? I did. I saw that picture and the, the stitches in it. And honestly, I thought he had bladed, but this mm, that's bad. I did too. And then they replayed it, and I thought, and I, you know, like his hands never go anywhere near his head. And I was like, wow. There's a, cause so at the first Hell in a Cell match back in 1997, there's this really famous part where Undertaker has Shawn Michaels up over his shoulder and he like kind of like lawn darts him into the side of the cell. Yeah. And Shawn is, you know, no blood on his forehead when he, when he's up there. And then, and then suddenly as soon as he like makes contact with it, he's like gushing and you have to imagine this back in the days of when all we had was VHS, you have to like go frame by frame as Undertaker is ramming him into the cage to see Sean, like basically just like while he's in midair, run his his uh his hand across his forehead with a blade, and he nicks himself. It was just like the most. It's it's basically the blade job against which all other blade jobs are measured. And I just don't know if Cody's on that level. So I don't know if I I don't know if I believe that he has the uh, the sleight of hand ability of Shawn Michaels there. So I think this was hard way. No, you're totally right because the the cut in the pictures of the aftermath is so large and um it's Uneven. not like yeah it's not like just a straight shot so i totally believe it's real but at the time i i assumed blade because all of his other pay-per-view matches have involved blading and gushing blood and i guess i should have known from this one because after he he got cut and sort of had the initial like I think the refs were like, oh, you know, look out. Like, he, he wasn't gushing in the way that theatrically you'd expect if he had bladed. So that was, I wasn't sure about that. But, um, yeah, the as an aside for blading, I didn't realize they bladed, like, like you said he bladed midair. I always thought they, like, hit whatever barrier or ground or whatever and then, like, after the fact kind of did it. So that's weird. Well, I mean, that's that's usually what you do. But Sean was so skilled that he was able to do it like in basically in the half a second between Undertaker launching him and him hitting. So when he so basically like for, to the fans at home, unless you were watching frame by frame, <laughs> uh, like it would just look like his head split open when he hit the cage. Yeah, that's. That's impressive. I don't even like that stuff, and that's impressive. So it's yeah, he's yeah. I mean, enough people have said enough things about how amazing Shawn Michaels is, but he is amazing. Um, Jericho worked the cut over with uh, with punches. I, I always love that. Um, so I don't. So here's my question for you about this about this this cut. If this hadn't happened, do you assume that there was a Cody Blade job somewhere in the schedule? <laughs> Oh, for sure. Here's yeah. the thing. After it happened and I saw blood, I immediately was like, started doing some CSI of like, where was he hiding that? I saw his mm-hmm. hands were taped. I saw his wrists were taped. I was like, did he 
do you hide that blade in there? Like, I don't, I'm still trying to learn the ins and outs of how you purposefully cut yourself open. And like, if you're using blades or if you find some way to do it, like on the surface or, you know, so I was very intrigued, but I just assumed he had in his wrist tape had hidden some sort of blade. And yeah, I expect blood. Cody has set me up to always expect blood. Um, Maybe not to the level of his match with Dustin, where that was just a mess of blood. And I, I didn't like it. I understand everybody else liked it. I didn't. Um, but he has kind of trained me to expect that for pay-per-views, especially of like, this is, I'm old school. This is the story I want to tell. So when that happened, I assumed Blade and I wasn't surprised. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just assumed that he was pretty happy about how things went, you know? Do you, so, you think that was, an, that was a happy accident, like, for him? I I wonder if maybe that was, like, his goal, but he wasn't sure if it was going to happen. Because, okay, also, like, when they showed the slow-mo replay, it almost looked like the impact of where he landed was... It didn't look like it was his head. That's why I thought he bladed too, because it seemed like initially he hit with maybe his chest and he had managed to like lift his head enough to avoid it. So I was surprised to see just a natural cut. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know for sure, but, and I'm guessing that's one of those things that he probably won't be, you know, you you don't, you don't, you only want to pull the curtain back so far, I guess. So this is a place where I could see them that being, uh, you don't want to talk about this one, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, we, may, it, we may never know. But uh, it looked, I mean, for, you know, for the purposes of drama, it looked great. Yeah, and I will say, I don't like blading. I don't love blood. But this, how this worked out, whether it be purposeful or not, I thought the amount of blood was okay. Yeah. Um... Cody uh, missed missed his finisher, Moon Base Cody, and it's a good thing, too, because the match would have been over right there. <laughs> uh, but he did hit a uh, Oz Cutter, uh, the Springboard Diamond Cutter, which is called a Diamond Cutter, not called an Oz Cutter, which makes sense because they're not friends with New Japan. But uh, Will Ospreay tweeted out some, like, hey, good looking out there, mate. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jericho went outside and was kind of getting into it with Michelle, Cody's mom. Uh, Michelle slapped Jericho and said, fuck you very loudly. I loved it. I love it when moms curse. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, then Cody, like, you know, basically went berserk when he was messing with uh, his mom. And uh, that allowed Michelle to get a second shot in. And uh, and then Cody hugged his mom, and everybody went crazy because it was great. I uh, yeah, it's very heartwarming. I'm so happy she's there to support him, and I also love that she's a badass. That's like fuck you, Chris Jericho. I'm gonna slap you in the face and help my son. I was married to Dusty Rhodes for 30 years. You think I can? You think I'm afraid of you? Yeah, I know this business, bitch. Uh, Jake Hager hit uh, Cody when he was, you know, Hager was out on the floor and uh, Cody got a shot and Aubrey Edwards 
if if she didn't see it full on, she at least, you know, she's not stupid. So she knew something had happened and uh, ejected uh, Jake Hager from the Hell yeah, from the, Aubrey. From the area, which was which was great. That was maybe the biggest uh, pop of the match so far. Yeah. And I I was so happy because, like you said, even though she didn't see it, she's not an idiot. She knows he's up to no good. Getting him out of here. Mm hmm. Uh, so MJF is mocking Hager as he, he starts singing the na 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 goodbye song to him, and Hager just beats the shit out of MJF for about five <laughs> seconds before he leaves. Mm. It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Jericho like uses all this distraction time to hit Cody with the championship belt, and Cody kicks out, and then Jericho goes for the Judas effect and it's in Cody like catches his L he catches his arm in like mid swing. So it's the first time the Judas effects have encountered. He hits it. He hits the crossroads. And, uh, I think a lot of people really bit on that because it got a huge pop and a really kind of dejected reaction when Jericho kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big moment. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Cody then goes for the, uh, his old, uh, disaster kick. And Jericho counters it with, I believe he countered it with the, um, oh God, what do you call his move in WWE near the end there? <sighs> Walls of Jericho? No, the, the, oh man. Codebreaker? The Codebreaker, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Which actually, if you're wrestling Cody Rhodes, the Codebreaker is a pretty, pretty good uh, name for the move there. Uh, roller. The Cody, Cody Breaker. The Roller Codebreaker. The roller code breaker. Yep. Um, so yeah, so he gets a near fall there. And at this point, the crowd, and I know me and you, based on the text we were sending back and forth, we were like, go 60, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like fully, I was fully on board at this point. Yeah. I, I said earlier, I did not want to see an hour long match with these two. When I was in the moment, yeah, I was okay with it. I'm like, I'm enjoying this. Please keep going, sirs. Now, now, while we both felt that, the truth is, they had picked up the pace because they were not going to do an hour-long match. So, yes, so perhaps not, that's so why. It's not I'm like on this board. could have been sustained. Yeah, you're yeah. Fair, fair point. Uh, Jericho takes off his weightlifting belt and just whips the shit out of Cody with it. I don't like when people do this because I know that that's just like, there's no way that doesn't hurt. It's a leather belt. I think it was the third one caught Cody up like around the neck and and it made like, it made like an Indiana Jones, like bullwhip crack sound. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, obviously all the attention, you know, is on his, uh, his eye, but I would kind of like to see what his back looks like today. Welts, just a bunch of welts and bruises. Yeah. Uh, Cody made a little bit of a comeback. He was going for a, a hurricane run off the top and Jericho blocks it, takes him down and puts the walls of Jericho on. Cody makes it to the ropes. Um, Jericho comes back with the uh, old lion tamer version. He's like stomping on the head and torquing on you know, his neck. And we see MJF kind of pull a, a towel out from somewhere. And I see I, there's a guy in the front row who just starts pointing like, no. <laughs> and, and MJF, He's he's like he looks really conflicted and like but Cody's you know Cody's not getting out of it and he's not going to tap out so MJF throws the towel in at twenty nine thirty seven and Jericho retains and Cody 
can never challenge for the AEW title again. Well. Well, we'll see. So we think. Yeah. I I think that I was very concerned when Jericho started stepping on Cody's head, like doing the stomps. I thought that looked legitimately brutal. And I guess, I don't want to say I liked it. I thought it was good for the match, but it made like me that. very upset. <laughs> yeah, like I, I felt uncomfortable. I want some more of that. I'm not Matt Jackson. <laughs> I was like, please don't kill him. So this match ruled. Uh, I went four and three quarters. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I went, I went four and a half stars on this one. Uh, this was terrific. I think Cody, when I, when I, you know, when I fill out my ballot for the observer awards here in a couple months, pretty sure Cody's going to be my wrestler of the year. Uh, number one pick. He's just, he's so fantastic at all aspects of the game this year. And, uh, uh, I, I don't know that I expected that when the promotion started in May. So, pleasant surprise. Yeah, he's um, he's amazing. I I don't even I I can't say that like when I was watching WWE and Cody was there, I would have ever thought I'm gonna really really like this guy because in that uh, organization I thought. Bland. I don't know. What's he doing? And then he got Stardust, and it was weird, and it's like... Like, now. I don't know. He's just so good at being sympathetic and a babyface and everything. I love him. He's he's kind of like the best-case scenario of Sean Spears, where it's a guy who felt like he was being held back, and instead of it turning out that, like, okay, well, he's, like, he's he's good, but he's he's probably at best going to be in a, a slightly better spot than he was in WWE, left to his own devices. Whereas, it turns out, WWE was just, like, holding back this megastar waiting to happen in Cody Rhodes. Yeah, and it's so surprising, considering, like, I know they hold back a bunch of people. I get it. But this is Cody Rhodes, son of Dusty Rhodes. Like, <laughs> There has to be some level of nepotism that should have at least given given him like some sort of advantage, and it feels like it just didn't. It failed him. Nepotism has failed him, and now he's doing his finest work in his own company. So it all turned out great. But I can't believe of all the people that got lost in the system, he was one of them. I wonder if it's it has anything to do with like there is weird Vince and Dusty stuff that goes back to the '80s where Dusty was you know, a top star for, you know, Jim Crockett promotions and the Booker during the time when they were, you know, at war with each other. So, so even though like Dusty came into the company later, I, I, I do think that there was always a bit of holding him at a distance. Okay. I could see that Vince, um, his grudges never die. So I guess that makes a little more sense. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but there were definitely times there in WWE where they did the Goldust and Cody Rhodes tag team, and you know Dusty was involved in a lot of that, and it seemed like they were really high on Cody at that time. And I mean, this is a little bit before your time, but like his first big push was when he and Ted DiBiase were Randy Orton's like you know punks in the Legacy stable, 
and and that that stable is all about nepotism because it was all like second and third generation guys and yeah there's just uh it seems like it seems like the kind of thing they do with a lot of people where they they'll just they'll run hot and cold and they never except for the like chosen few they never really go strong for a long time with anyone Mm. so uh after the match cody is beside himself because of you know this isn't just a loss in a world title match. This is theoretically like his last chance to ever win that title. And MJF is practically in tears explaining like, you know, his reasoning and Cody kind of calms down and he's okay. And and he, he he looks like he's going to forgive MJF and then MJF kicks him in the balls. (laughs) How surprised were you that they did the turn on this night? Very. Well, I think also, so we were texting back and forth about this match, and you specifically said, please don't do the turn now. And I think in my mind, I had framed that as Cody deciding, like, he was going to turn on MJF for some reason. I don't know why that was in my head. I'm like, oh, this is where Cody becomes mean, and it's like, get out of here. You threw the talon you suck as a friend. You're awful. So when he MJF turned, I was like, oh, okay, I guess. But for some reason, I had primed my brain to be what you meant was Cody turning. And, and I agreed. I don't know that I, I don't know that I have a problem with MJF turning at this point. I think really like story-wise, it seems like great because to maximize his douchiness he picks Cody's most vulnerable moment, which he played a part in creating. And that's when he decides, like, sorry, roller coaster, I'm out. I've hated you all along. Time to, like, salt this wound and then peace out. So I think it's OK. I think it's I, I think it's going to be entertaining to watch this fallout. I just realized we're probably never going to hear roller coaster again. The greatest loss of this whole thing. <laughs> so I, I agree with you that it'll probably end up being okay. But the reason, so you and I have known about the Cody MJF relationship this pretty much this entire year because of being the elite and MJF and Cody were all over that show together, establishing their friendship, establishing, you know, that you know, the, the, the weirdness of it where Cody, where, where uh, MJF, like, he loved Cody, but he hated everybody else who was around Cody out of, you know, presumably out of jealousy, including Brandy um, and Pharaoh. And, and so we've got a long history of this. So for us, like, I think the timing was right, but for everyone who just started watching this company six weeks ago, this must seem pretty out of nowhere. Yeah, I guess you're right. Like <laughs> I have to remember mindset wise. Um, Sometimes I forget how much buildup to all of this we've seen versus a newer fan. So in that sense, yes, especially considering MJF was just on from undesirable to undeniable. He's was the announcer last weekend or last um, AEW dark. It's it's surprising in that sense because he's been almost like 
sold to us in a way where if you don't have all that background information, I could totally see how as a casual fan who just found AEW, you'd think, oh, well, this guy's like he's in the inner circle, essentially. So from that angle, not the inner circle, (laughs) not the official inner circle, but the, you know, (laughs) the business inner circle. Yeah. Um, So I could see how like. Totally. That is really weird. Uh, and I had not thought of it from that perspective, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, but I do think, like you know, they'll 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 both cut really good promos, and I imagine that this is going to be one of the key matches on the next pay per view, which they did not announce tonight. They did. Uh, they I I feel like during each pay per view they have officially announced the next pay per view, and they didn't they did not follow that trend tonight. Do you think they don't know yet, or? They must. They must have an idea. I, I'm guessing January or February. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing the cadence they choose as far as like how many per year and how spaced out they want to make them. They they every every time it comes up, Tony Khan always says four. I think that's a very good number, like a quarterly pay per view. Yeah, it suits me. Um, I hope they announce it soon but at the same time if if that's the stance tony khan has taken then i trust that it's all going to be okay yeah yeah i i so so it's just a matter of like announcing this one officially so we know uh when to expect it so that takes us to a lights out unsanctioned match the third in the history of all elite wrestling uh <laughs> one of them at fighter fest one of them on an episode of aew dark and now uh in a pay-per-view main event uh, it's John Moxley. It's Kenny Omega. Uh, Moxley ends up winning this one at. Do you want to guess how long this match was? Um. Oh God, I'm trying to think of my feelings. Uh, like 30 minutes. 38:46. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, pretty long for this kind of match, but. Uh, I guess it was a lot of it was kind of just you know it, it takes time to set up all these uh, contraptions and then uh, execute them. So, I mean, honestly, if from my point of view, like it felt long because this is not my type of match, and it just kept going, and I just was like, it got more like harrowing as it went. There was a thing at All Out called the Cracker Barrel Clash, and that was before this podcast existed, so we didn't cover it officially. I think I said at the time that of that match that if it's the kind of match that you like, it was a good one of those. Uh, and if it's not, then it was, you know, it, then none of, nothing like that is going to be a good one of those. I feel even more strongly that way about this. If, if you like like a, a, you know, kind of a high end garbage match every once in a while. And I do. And I feel like every three months is once in a while. Then, this was this was a really good one of those, and I went four and three quarter stars. I debated five stars, but um, a rule that uh, I have heard put forth by Dave Meltzer and others is that five stars, if you don't feel it right away, if you find yourself debating five stars, it's not five stars, and I think that makes sense. So, <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah, but I I think that. I think it was a really great one of those types of matches. Yeah. I I recognize it 
as a great one of those. I do think, I hope that I am educated enough on pro wrestling that I can see that. But in the moment, I'm like, yeah, this is really good, but I hate it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's tough. It's like totally a really great one of those. And that is just not for me. And I'm fine with that. Um, I stuck around watching it because I do like both of these men. Love John Moxley. Love Kenny. I just, um, I had trouble celebrating them making each other bleed. Like, it's just, it's rough. And when the glass came out in particular, I think that was really hard to watch. I just don't like violence for the sake of violence. So let's get into it because um, there's a lot to no, cover. Yeah. I'm open. Yeah. And I'm open to talking through it. I just I'm putting out there that like spoiler, this is not my type of match. So I will not be on board for it. But I want to respect the fact that it is definitely probably for all of our listeners and for you. So it was very intense from the start. Um, the first big spot of the match, which is looks so tame in retrospect is do you, do you remember when um john was on the other side of the guardrail and kenny like ran and did like basically a a leaping missile drop kick over the guardrail onto him i do i'm still on board at that point it was like I, I was like wow that was awesome and then it's just like well that was like the least crazy thing that happened in this match but that uh, was awesome it was awesome i really liked the uh they, they got like a they got a legit uh arena trash can that was has, was in use and uh, put it on top of, of John and Kenny went up to like went up one level of stairs and did like a double foot stomp onto it. Totally crushed the thing. And uh, that didn't look fun. Um, There's garbage all over the place. Uh, went back to the ring. Moxley got uh, his barbed wire bat and just started swinging for the fences on Kenny's back. Yeah, hated it. <laughs> but Kenny didn't bleed that much, and that gave me hope. Yeah. So Kenny goes for a Snapdragon Suplex, which is like has really gotten over, especially with Jim Ross for some reason. He's really into that move. <laughs> um, and uh, but Mox blocks it by rubbing the barbed wire against Kenny's forearm. Mm, hated it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Kenny gets the barbed wire broom, and uh, just and it was funny because he was like he was really like holding up the barbed wire broom and like I think he expected to get this huge pop and he didn't really get it and I was like oh that's funny the stupid broom didn't get over like you know anybody would have told you but then he like blasts Moxley in the head with it and. And then got in the ring and like swept his back with the barbed wire broom, and and then people went insane. So, so you know he had to do some serious damage with it. But Kenny did end up getting that stupid barbed wire broom over. Yeah, I mean inherently, like Moxley has a barbed wire bat. A bat is dangerous on its own. You throw barbed wire on it, it's worse. A broom, decidedly less threatening. So when you put barbed wire on it, it's almost like, that's cute. Um, when he hit Moxley in the back of the neck, blood exploded out of it. 
like contrasting that with what had happened when Moxley rubbed his bat all over Kenny's back and nothing happened. Blood exploded everywhere. And I was just like, what is this broom made of? How is it so different? It was really gross, but that's when I feel like the crowd locked in because it was like, look at all this blood. Here's what you came for, people. And turns out the broom is the instrument of bloodletting. In the midst of all this, I was also paying close attention to uh, one Renee Young's Twitter feed. Yes, and I love that you were copying me on all these. Yes, uh, Megan famously uh, allergic to social media these days, at least uh, most of it. So I have to I have to curate the wrestling stuff for her, the good wrestling social media. Um, it starts out pretty fine. She says, "My husband is handsome, also a bad mf'er." Uh, soon after is uh, the first WTF. Uh, soon after that, hi, yes, hello, I hate this. Uh, she quote tweets her own WTF and then follows up with seriously WTF. And then uh, she wraps it up with, anyways, I hear Christmas movies are a great palate cleanser. In parentheses, help. And like, Renee, girl, you tweeted my thought processes. I was, as you texted me her things, I was so on board with it. It was mirroring my own sentiments towards this match of why, why, or why is this a thing men do? (laughs) (laughs) I guess this is my question. And I don't know, just putting it out to the universe of men. Why do you do this? It's funny because like the storyline is that Moxley is upset that he's been put in this box as like a freak show and he didn't really want to do this match this way. But you know that in real life he's just reveling in doing this. Oh yeah, like he loves that shit. And he he seemed perfectly happy about his time in CZW, which was just a mess of blood and grossness. And so like part of me wonders Hey, John, what did you tell Renee before you left her to go to this pay-per-view? What background information did you give her as far as, like, this is the type of match I'm doing. Here are some scenarios that will probably occur. This is, like, my new my new thing with Renee Young is now I really want... Like, because ESPN has been, I don't know if lately, but for a while there, they were, like, trying to, like, get her a lot, like, all the time. And now I think is the time for her to go to, like, take a high-paying job at ESPN. Because then we could get her probably doing all kinds of, like, on-the-record interviews about, like, John's stupid ass in AEW and all the shit he's doing. (laughs) Yes. I want to know. Give me the psychology of that. I don't even care about the wrestling. I want to know what makes a person do this. Like, what is the motivation? It seems so taxing on your body. And also, John, real talk. When you were in CZW, you were 20s. You were in, invincible. The world was your stage. Um, we all passed 30 at this point, And that's when life hits you, right? Like, for me, I don't know. I... I got a sudden realization of my own mortality and uh and I'm okay with it, but 
I'm not doing stupid shit anymore. So like, yeah, I hit 30 and my metabolism completely abandoned me. So yeah, it's like your body, even this athletic version of him, which is what I feel like he's cultivated, but like the body does not heal as quickly in, in, in your later ages. So post 30, why, why do you do this? Why? Are you doing this to yourself? That is my question. Men, why do you do this to each other for the mm-hmm. entertainment? Somebody answer me. <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of doing some like very unofficial uh you know, John Moxley research, I guess. And it looks like the last time he had a a like a hardcore match in CZW. Like he wrestled in CZW after this, but it was mostly it looks like it was in kind of standard matches. But he had a no ropes barbed wire match against Nick Gage on October sixteenth, two thousand ten. So we're roughly like nine years removed from the last time he did something as crazy as this match. Mm-hmm. And he I, I guess he still he just didn't grow out of it. No, I think he genuinely loves it, and I just don't understand that mindset at all. Yeah, because it I mean, seems painful. Maybe, now, but now, it could. Do you think it's possible that this thing where he'll get it out of the system after doing it a couple times in AEW because he was so kind of reined in in WWE for that long? Maybe, because maybe it's a situation where um, the great power of nostalgia takes over. And then you only see through things through like rainbow colored glasses. You don't remember all the bad that comes with the good. And yeah. in this case, the bad being <sighs> recovery time. I can only imagine that like he's going to have to take days to recover because his body's going to hurt. And maybe then he'll see like like looking back in your 20s. Sure, you bounce back super quick. You're fine. It's all fun and good. But this time around, the nostalgia of it is tempered by the fact that you're recovering for three or four days. Whereas in your 20s, it was like next day you wake up, you're you're running around. Maybe you do a shot of whiskey and you move on with your life. But you're probably in the bar partying that night. Yeah. Like. But then post 30, I mean, newsflash to all the listeners under 30. 30 means you have to stop doing that. It's mm-hmm. very tough, and you can still yeah. have fun, but don't throw your body into a sea of barbed wire or a board of mousetraps. I don't know. Maybe. Which, which speaking don't. of, uh, is the very next thing that happens. Kenny brings out a platform full of mousetraps, and actually he is the one who ends up taking the first uh, big bump onto them. This just seemed silly. Like, none of them, I wonder, do you think that they thought like a couple of them might end up getting stuck onto them so it would look better. I don't know because they were all glued down or nailed down or whatever. They yeah. were secured <laughs> to the board. So yeah, like realistically when I was watching it, this was maybe the wackiest. This was the part I could connect with. Cause I'm like, look at that goofy shit. Um, Cause like, yeah, it's not going to pinch your skin. It's a mousetrap. It's just going to close. So like, if you're not, if your finger's not in it or like, an appendage of some kind. Yeah. Realistically, they're just closing underneath you. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so that was weird. So then Moxley brings a, I guess a basket 
of gold chains into the ring. Hell yeah. Get that. And was this, do you think this was like the, his response to Kenny saying, what are you going to do, John? Chain wrestle me? Oh, I did not think that in the moment. I did not connect that clever wordplay, but maybe. Because what the hell else would they have been doing under there? Also, here's my question. Why are they gold-plated? I don't know. I mean, I thought about, like, Mr. T. I thought about the time that uh, the future Godfather um, melted down the Undertaker's urn into a chain. Uh, I thought about many things, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't couldn't figure out why they were gold-plated. Yeah, because just regular silver chains would make total sense. That is something that I would picture, like, I don't know how it would be part of the ring setup, but if you're rooting around for stuff underneath the ring and you find chains, I would expect them to just be not gold-plated, you know, just regular chains. And instead, this was, like, blinged out just, like, chains that for some reason were under there in a bucket. (laughs) Yep. I don't... What what is the function? Well, the function here was uh, for Moxley to suplex Kenny onto them. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, John goes out and he's looking for something else, and it turns out to be an ice pick, and uh, he ends up missing with it, but he stabs it into the top turnbuckle, and it just kind of stays there, which I thought was like at least an effective visual. It's like, oh, that's a real ice pick. Yeah, I thought that was a cool visual after the fact. In the moment when he picked it up, I thought, are you going to murder him? Mm-hmm. Like, Because we're escalating too fast. You can't do anything with this ice pick except murder. And I know that that's not going to happen. Yeah, it seemed unlikely. Uh, so Kenny is like choking John over the ropes with a chain. And so so he's you know he's got the advantage he goes and grabs a bag and i figured thumbtacks uh i joked about it being um the thing from fighter fest which you reminded me were actually like buttons for arcade sticks or whatever yeah and it turned out to be glass Mm. and we were told that this was the glass from the table that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that uh, Kenny was driven through by John Moxley back in week one of Dynamite. And I have seen people saying online that this glass was fake, and I hope it was. I yeah, hope it the, was fake glass. The way they dragged each other through it, I hope it was whatever fake glass is. Yeah. So there, there was a shard, at least one shard in there, and Kenny used it, and he basically did the paper cut between Moxley's fingers, except it was a shard of glass. Yeah. How did you do with that spot? Did you look at the screen or did you have to look away? I watched it. I, I didn't, I did not want it to be real glass. I, I didn't have the notion that it might be fake because I thought we're all like, this is the point of this match is to be hardcore. So when Kenny started stomping on it and then he had essentially the like little glass pieces and he poured them out. I just, I was worried that we were just going to see literally pools of blood because if you drag someone through glass, it's going to stick to you. And maybe this is, um, 
points towards the fact that it was fake because I don't think anyone's back got cut up really from this. But when they started dragging each other through it, I was like very concerned and ugh, I don't know. I don't. It's like thumbtacks. I don't like when people pour thumbtacks out and then they power bomb others into it. It uh, it's just not my thing. <laughs> Just not my thing. I like thumbtacks because thumbtacks are like not very harmful, and I think it looks cool when it happens. So you know, it's just it, like it just it hurts a little bit and it like bleeds very very little, but they don't go in very deep. So I like that. I don't like the idea of real glass because I feel like yeah, real glass, much like fire, uh, doesn't know how to work. <laughs> it only shoots. So right. Yeah. Now, do you think it was fake? Because of the lack of blood? Because honestly, if it was real glass, wouldn't have, like, stuck in... I would have thought it would have gotten, like, really jammed into their skin. Yeah, me too. That's kind of what tipped me off. And, you know, obviously, I don't know for sure. I don't... I've never, uh... I've never done anything like this with glass, and I never plan to. But, uh... My guess is that it would have been a lot gorier if it had been, like, real blood. Or real glass. Okay. I appreciate... That it wasn't then. Because... Me too. And until I'm told differently, I'm just going to pretend that it wasn't, so I can uh, still have <laughs> a measure of respect for these men. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, there was a very I thought like especially if we assume that the glass was fake, which we do. We've agreed it's fake. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so Moxley gets spinebustered onto it, and then Kenny puts a sharpshooter on, and Moxley has to like John McClane climb like drag himself across the broken glass to get to the nearest rope. So he can like kind of pull himself up out of the sharpshooter. Yes. That I loved it. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. See that even, that even got you. Well, when, when they weren't like bleeding a lot from the glass, I, I took comfort in that. I didn't immediately register it as fake, but I thought, okay, we're not just ripping all of our body open. Cool. Cool. So the the crawl across was cool. So uh, Kenny hits a couple of V-triggers, and he he pulls the ice pick out of the uh, turnbuckle. And just kind of like, you know, carves up John's forehead a little bit. (laughs) Kenny is up on the ramp, and he's calling for something. And then we see the Bucks and Paige, like, basically say, no, like, this is enough. (laughs) This is over. And Kenny, I guess Kenny convinced them because he yelled and said, no, 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 no. And then so those three, I guess they just decided, well, all right, I guess we'll support our friend. And they bring out they bring out what uh, was described by Excalibur as a barbed wire spider web. Indeed. And so it's like this big box, basically. Like, I don't know. It it was kind of like a mini wrestling ring. Um, It was probably what I don't know, maybe like. Eight by eight, maybe. Yeah, and not not really a spider web. It was very clean lines of barbed wire on it. Yeah, so it was like an eight by eight box with like barbed wire, like you know, like crisscrossing all 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 it within it. And you know, Kenny was obviously he was going to try to like put John Moxley through it. And what ended up happening was 
Uh, Moxley got the advantage. And of course, John Moxley, when he gets the advantage, he doesn't just put Kenny through the, into the thing. He, he uses a suplex to put them both onto the giant, uh, barbed wire spider web. <laughs> Disregard your body. Yeah. And so here's some more good news. I'm pretty sure that the barbed wire in this was fake. I thought it might have had to be because that was too much. And and also because, like, the outside parties ended up reaching into it to try to help them out. And I don't know, like, if you're not into hardcore matches, we saw how Pac just ripped open his hand just taking the bat away from Moxley. I wouldn't think the Bucks would reach into a, a minefield of barbed wire, real barbed wire. Right. And so, yeah, so like they, they're, you know, everybody like kind of like pulls the wrestlers out of that. And so then we've got, we're up, we're up like, you know, down on the floor of like next to the stage, kind of in that, in that area where uh, poor Ricky Morton took that power bomb a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, but they've got this, like, they've got a big gear as a set piece. And, you know, uh, John Moxley and Kenny Omega love fighting by set pieces at pay-per-views. <laughs> so, uh, they basically, I think Moxley was kind of, like, up against it, and Omega hit him with a V-trigger, and they both go through this, like, plexiglass portion of the, the set with, with, like, a big gear, and they break through it, and everybody goes crazy. It looked like Kenny hit his head really hard. Yeah. So... We're finally, we, you know, we're kind of winding things down. They get back in the ring somehow. Moxley hits a paradigm shift out of nowhere. Omega kicks out. So then John goes outside, gets a pair of, like, kind of snippers and, like, starts breaking down the ring, essentially. Getting a head start on that as we head into, uh, as we head to Nashville <laughs> on Wednesday. And <laughs> so he, like, he removes the canvas and, uh, and the padding underneath it. And we've just got the exposed wood. And I'm getting, you know, I'm getting those, uh, Champa Gargano flashbacks. And then he ends up getting back body dropped. And they're, they're both going for their finishers. And then Kenny hits the paradigm shift for a two count. So then Kenny decides enough of this. And he goes up top. And he misses a Phoenix splash from the top turnbuckle to the bare exposed wood. It looked so sick. I oh I hated it it because there is no way this isn't just extremely painful and yeah. for what for yeah. what for the pop oh it hurt me and then uh, John gets him up and uh, hits the uh, kind of the the high angle elevated paradigm shift and uh, are right on that exposed wood and gets the one two three John Moxley your winner again thirty eight minutes forty six seconds. One of the probably probably the craziest hardcore match that's ever taken place on a like mainstream wrestling pay per view. Like obviously they they do crazier shit in like backyard companies and like the CZWs of the world, but as far as like a you know WCW, WWE, TNA, even probably ECW. I don't I don't think ECW ever did anything. Really? As crazy as this. Yeah, I don't think so. I could be wrong, oh. but yeah. No, I just assume ECW. I I thought this was like their bread and butter. 
Yeah, I mean that's kind of like that was their reputation, but it was, but it was a lot of like it was a lot of hardcore matches, but like this this was just like every hardcore like spot in the book pretty much. Yeah, I. Hmm. So what do you think when you when you go onto the when you log on to Grapple next time and you and you put in your ratings for this pay per view, what 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 are you gonna what are you gonna give Omega versus Moxley? I know it's not your cup of tea. It's not, and I guess that's my <laughs> that's my like greatest um, conflict is I fully understand that this was like good one of these, like a very good one of these, and so like subjectively I hated it, but objectively I think it was probably very good, you know, like mm-hmm. like what'd you give it? Probably over four, right? I, like I said earlier, I said I went four and three quarters. Couldn't quite because I I didn't I didn't have the feeling right away of five, so I didn't go five. Okay, yeah, like I would give it over four. Oh wow, I, okay. Well, just because I understand, I understand that it's a good one of these. It's like it's like art, right? You don't love all the paintings in the world, but you know what which ones are highly regarded. I get it. This is. This is a moment where, like, I don't, it's not for me, but I understand it's very good. Um, I still had fun with parts of this match, too. I think that helps. Like, it wasn't a total, like, Cracker Barrel classic. (laughs) I did not like that one as much. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, like, I get it. It, I would give it its due. I just... um, I don't really like seeing people hurt themselves. I like high spots and fun times. And um, I don't like blood uh, and hardcore matches. I think that is uh, totally fair. And uh, I think the way they structured this is interesting because it's like, it's like they, they did, they used real stuff like the barbed wire. They used like real barbed wire early on. It was almost like, sleight of hand to make you think that the stuff they were doing later was also like totally real. Yeah. And I think good because I'd prefer that they not destroy their bodies in the service of this. And, yeah. um, like putting, putting them both through the, the gear thing, the light setup. I think that's something that if you saw that on a regular ass dynamite show, no one would blink an eye at because, there's nothing inherently hardcore about that. There was no blood. So I like that part. And and if the field of barbed wire was in fact fake rubber, which I assume it was, that's fine. Um by I that think it was point, just I think it was just wire that was not barbed. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so like it probably that, so it probably didn't feel great, like just, you know, landing on it and bouncing on it, but like I don't you know, but it wasn't barbed. Yeah, but overall, like by that point, like they they had built up enough blood and carnage from before that I think it's totally fair to like ease into the part where now we now we do a little sleight of hand, now we fake it a little, and that's fine. You earned it. Totally cool. Um, so in that sense, I'm glad that they attempted to preserve their own bodies from that from that point on um and then you finish strong with like 
real bumps on wood. That part hurt me. So it's like, it's like they bookended it with real shit and put like the, the magic in between. Yeah. You can't fake that hitting the pine, as I said, no, No, that's, that seemed really painful. And I, I didn't like watching that because there's no way to, there's no protection. And that really just sucked for them. So whatever, but Hey, at least there's not a at least there's not a house show to to make on uh, on Tuesday night or you know or like or at least you know on, on TV you can you can either not be on a week or just like maybe do a promo you know they they you the schedule allows you to to you know work a little harder on your on nights. Yeah, I do like that. I like that a lot. I don't expect to see Moxley or Omega on Wednesday. Maybe in like a tape segment where they respond yeah. to this, but I like that AEW is taking care of their guys and you know, the the schedule overall seems easier and I don't expect to see those people on Wednesday and it will be fine. So in that sense, I'm glad they have the time to recover. Totally. Yeah. Uh, overall, I thought, you know, I think that the degree to which this is like a really, really, you know, all-time classic pay-per-view hinges on how you feel about Omega versus Moxley. And I loved Omega versus Moxley. So I think this is this along with the Cody Jericho match and just a really, really, really strong undercard uh, makes this an all-timer for me. I think it's definitely possibly their strongest one so far. Top to bottom, I, I think so. Yeah, because I agree with you. Like, I loved all of the undercard and I really like the um, all the championship matches too, and then the Moxie Omega match. While not for me, recognize it's great. And there were moments where I was definitely into it. Um, so yeah, overall I think the show was a huge success and one of my favorites. Yeah, I think. I think still the best match in AEW history, just for me personally, is Escalera de la Muerte from All Out with the Bucks and um, and Lucha Brothers. And nothing, I don't think either of the top two matches on this hit those heights, but uh, I think All Out was an overall not as strong show. So I still, I think I better show, but not as nothing as good as that ladder match. Yeah, that ladder match was like bananas. I loved did so much that that match spoke to me that was high spots all over the place and yeah definitely my type of match yeah totally so let's get into the little bit of news there is before we get out of here um uh wrestlingobserver.com posted some injury updates after the show oh no and uh cody needed eight stitches for the cut he suffered at full gear he suffered a costochondral separation which is a uh like a rib separation um, and that was like, so every, everything that he, he, all the ways that he got hurt last night were both on that dive because that's where he separated the rib. And that's also where he obviously cut his, you know, himself up. Okay. So that makes total sense because it looked like he landed on his chest. Yeah. That's why I was chest. confused. It was real rough. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Um, AEW posted, actually I saw they, uh, they tweeted out that he was not medically cleared and <laughs> I just looked at him. I thought, no shit. <laughs> 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 um, I looked up costochondral injuries and 
I guess the standard kind of recovery time is like three to four weeks. So it's not like Cody's been wrestling every week on TV anyway, so it probably won't really matter that much. No, and story-wise, it's probably good to have him like disappear a little bit. I assume MJF is going to show up and talk some shit while he's out, and that's perfect. The uh, yeah, we better we better get a uh, an MJF. I think that would be perfect. Like Cody is not at the building on Wednesday, and so we get the MJF explanation of the turn promo. And pray to God, not a you people don't deserve to know why I did what I did promo. No, like let him lay it all out. And if Cody's out for like three or four weeks each week, let him just show up and be like, yeah, like I'm the best. I'm here. Cody can't even like roll out of bed for this and just go from that angle because he is a shitty heel. And that's what he's supposed to do. Totally. Uh, The doctor that checked on Cody last night was a legit doctor. He is like their staff doctor. And I I don't know if there was ever a real possibility that, or he might have been a commission doctor, but anyway, uh, I don't know if there's a real possibility that the match would have been stopped, but, you know, he was a legitimate doctor making a legitimate, you know, determination, so. Yeah, well, I hope Cody recovers in a timely manner. He went on for so long after that dive. Yeah, that was very early. Uh, Hangman may have suffered a stinger in last night's match with Pac as he was having problems with his right arm but he is still you know they must think he's fine because they as we talked about earlier they announced Pac versus Hangman for Wednesday night in Nashville Jenny uh, noticed that actually during that match she kept saying like he's he's like it seems like he's like shaking out his arm a lot I thought he kept putting his hand in his waistband in a way that Yeah, it was distracting, and I'm like, what are you doing? But that makes more sense. For stingers, how long do those generally last? Well, I'm going to look it up. Okay, because I've never really understood that. Yeah. Uh, A stinger, also called a burner, depending on who you ask, is the nickname given to a common nerve injury of the neck and shoulder seen in contact sports, especially football. It almost always occurs during tackling when the tackler gets his shoulder forced one way while his head and neck the other. How long do stingers last for? Uh, They usually last seconds to minutes, but in some cases they can last hours, days, or even longer. Uh, So it looks like it just depends. So, so, I mean, if he had like a, if he was fine by the time the show was over for Tony Khan to make that announcement of the match, then, you know, maybe it just, maybe it was just a few minutes. Okay. Yeah. Poor Adam Page. Because I think I think it's essentially a, a a pinched nerve, so you know. Yeah, I've never really understood how long pinched nerves last either, though. Because I think it's, it's just it's just like until they're not inflamed anymore. Like so, you just I think you just ice it and hope that it goes down. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's so like nebulous. Like ice it and hope it gets better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Mm. Uh, so for dynamite. As we mentioned, there is uh, there is Hangman Adam Page versus Pack, but they've also announced a tag team championship match as SCU will be defending against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, who are not ranked in the top five, <laughs> to my knowledge. Nope. Maybe. But, so Jericho at the post-fight scrum, he was complaining that they weren't ranked because they are 2-0 as a tag team. I, I mean, I guess so. Like, so theoretically, if Jericho and and Sammy won, 
Jericho could hold both the AEW championship and a tag team title? Yeah, he's very excited about that possibility. Okay, I mm, I don't see it happening, but interesting. Yes, agreed. So one other thing that uh, kind of <laughs> came to our attention yesterday, <laughs> and it was mentioned on it was mentioned during the the World T- Tag Team Title Match when Excalibur mentioned that he wrestled. Uh, he had wrestled and teamed with SCU before because, you know, they're from the same area of town. He said something like, yes, I, you know, I go way back with them professionally. And Jim Ross says, I know a lot about what you do professionally. And I know a lot about what you do personally. And that was a reference to the previous night at, I believe, Tony Schiavone's birthday party <laughs> at a place called Jimmy's Seafood which Jenny says is a uh, is a bad place where all the politicians go, so you know it's a bad place. Um, they're in Baltimore, and uh, Jimmy Havoc had been drinking heavily, apparently, and I don't know exactly what was said, but there was some kind of altercation between him and Excalibur, and Jimmy Havoc threw a punch and it missed, and then Excalibur put him in a choke. And put him to sleep. And security stepped in, got Excalibur to release the chokehold, and once Havoc came to, he, again, he threw a punch at Excalibur, and then they were, like, brawling, and then security broke it up and got Havoc outside. And then Excalibur comes out, tries to talk things out with Havoc, and... Jimmy Havoc threw his cell phone at Excalibur <laughs> and uh, missed him. Not the wall, though, says uh, the account from Bodyslam.net. As his phone broke into pieces, security again separated the two, sending Excalibur back inside while they waited for an Uber to pick up Havoc and take him back to the hotel. Um, I guess they talked things out, and there's no heat, and Jimmy was very upset and remorseful. And, uh, yeah. What a crazy thing. Tough night. Tough night. And apparently, so like Tony Khan was asked about this yesterday after the show, as you might expect he would be when he, you know, makes himself open to media inquiries. <laughs> and he said, so I, so after I shared this story with you and Jenny, um, and after you guys read it, I, I asked you, I said, like, do you think this might be it for him? And you said, well, it seems like they kind of worked it out, like he and, you know, Excalibur. But I just thought, like, oh, God, because Tony Khan was there, you know, and you do that in front of your boss. But But Tony said that, he said, like, everything's fine. And he said, I wouldn't characterize it as a win for Excalibur. I think it was more of a draw. And I just thought, oh, they're not getting rid of Jimmy Havoc. Because Tony Khan, if he was going to fire Jimmy Havoc over this, he would have... He would have buried, he, he would have definitely said that Excalibur won. But he's protecting his wrestler by not letting it be known that an announcer kicked his ass. Wow. That's, that's what I thought, at least. Oh, that's layered. Ooh. So, okay, that's an interesting take. Because I assumed from hearing and reading about this that that Excalibur was maybe the... um more mature 
like it it felt like he was in control of the situation like he put jimmy havoc in a chokehold but i guess i just initially interpreted that as like drunk dude gonna drunk so i'm just gonna put him to sleep (laughs) yeah and and then when security came and said hey stop doing that he was like cool take him away um so wow so tony khan is just fully taking sides huh no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying that he was not taking sides because it, it sounded to me like Excalibur, like that account sounds like Excalibur won the fight and Tony's saying it was a draw. Well, I mean, I don't, it's not, in this scenario, I don't think there's winners and losers as far as the fighting is concerned. So I would have expected Tony Khan to maybe say like, yeah, it was a weird situation, but it's all good. And instead he's treating it almost like, like a sanctioned fight of like, well, don't, don't think X. Ex- don't give Excalibur the credit because Jimmy Havoc is totally cool as far as punching, throwing punches. It's it's a weird stance to take, I think. Okay, I just saw it as like he's not getting rid of the wrestler because he didn't he didn't admit that the that the retired announcer like actually got the upper hand in the fight. No, and and totally like. If he's not getting rid of Jimmy Havoc, cool. Like, they worked through it. I I honestly felt like the way this was portrayed is, hey, we all had some ugly times at a company party. Things, we, we got a little drunk and things happened, but nothing, like, long-term, nothing that couldn't be reconciled. But then to turn it into, like, <laughs> to take a position as far as, like, who, quote-unquote, won and lost in this shoot fight between a drunk co- co-worker and the announcer is like, I don't know, like maybe you shouldn't have. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know, but that's, uh, that's what happened. So I'm, I'm kind of glad as far as like how this shakes out, if they're both clearly still employed and it sounds like Jimmy Havoc is going to remain employed as the instigator of all this and that's great but um yeah like that's rough like i don't i've been so happy at how inclusive and good this company is as far as like woke status or whatever mm-hmm. so i don't i don't want there to be scandals in it basically no but as you said drunk get a drunk yeah like this is um this is your drunk friend at a party who just needs to be reined in, I think. And it, as far as we know right now, it's a one-off. Hopefully it doesn't become a pattern. Yep. Hopefully not. But, uh, I think that is all the news and we certainly covered the show in enough depth. Megan and I will be back next week with, uh, Jenny, uh, to do, I think we are actually going to do it live this time in person. Uh, Precluding sickness from, you know, who knows? Another one of us could get sick. Don't curse us like that. Tis the season. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back to cover uh, Dynamite in Nashville, as well as Dark, Being the Elite, and all the news that you want to know about. So, thanks for listening. And this has been The Elite Beat. And, Megan, now you have to do the thing. E. Elite Beat. E. E. Late beat.